I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Air quality is important in preventing transmission of COVID and influenza. That means good ventilation and filtration. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Dr. Richard Corsi is one of the country's leading experts when it comes to improving air quality. He and a colleague invented an inexpensive do-it-yourself air filtration box. He'll tell us how you can make it at home. Florence Nightingale revolutionized nursing during the 19th century. She realized that air quality was a key factor in preventing the spread of disease. Why haven't we adopted more of her strategies in the 21st century? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, improving air quality through ventilation and filtration. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. This year's influenza season could be especially nasty. That's because Australia is just emerging from winter. The southern hemisphere is always about six months ahead of us when it comes to seasonal respiratory tract infections. According to public health experts there, this year's flu season was the worst they've seen in five years. If you dial back to the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, influenza was incredibly rare. That was attributed to isolation and masking. Last year, there were also fewer cases of influenza than normal. But if the Australian experience predicts what we can expect during the 2022-2023 flu season in North America, it could be a fluorona twindemic. Influenza cases peaked earlier than usual in Australia and were three times higher than the normal rate. Now that most people have thrown away their masks, it's highly likely that Americans will be susceptible to both influenza and COVID-19, especially if any new variants emerge in coming months. If hospitals have to deal with two respiratory infections simultaneously, it could be a challenging winter. Americans love ultra-processed food. Things that come in a box or a bag take up tremendous shelf space in our supermarkets and convenience stores. They also account for a high proportion of calories in our diet. Two new studies in the BMJ show the hazards of eating lots of ultra-processed foods. One analysis utilized data from three long-running cohort studies of healthcare professionals. More than 46,000 male health professionals and nearly 160,000 female nurses answered detailed dietary questionnaires every four years and provided health information. The scientists followed these conscientious subjects for an average of about 25 years. Men who ate the most ultra-processed food had a 29% greater chance of developing colorectal cancer during that time. Oddly, the researchers did not detect a higher risk among women who ate the most ultra-processed food. A second publication analyzed the diets of nearly 23,000 Italians over 14 years. Those whose diets were least healthy, that is, containing the most processed food, were 19% more likely to die during that time. Their risk of dying from a heart attack or other cardiovascular cause was actually 32% higher than that of the folks who ate the least processed foods. 
Because these are both observational studies, they can't establish cause and effect. However, an editorial in the same issue argues that governments should make fresh, minimally processed foods accessible and affordable to promote the public health. Many people have heard that they need to get 10,000 steps a day, but they may not be clear what that gets them. A new study in JAMA Neurology tracked more than 78,000 people between 40 and 79 years of age for close to seven years. These participants in the UK Biobank wore accelerometers, similar to a Fitbit, to measure steps and speed. The optimal dose of steps was 9,826 a day. When people achieved that level of activity, they cut their risk of developing dementia in half. The scientists concluded, The findings suggest that a dose of just under 10,000 steps a day may be optimally associated with a lower risk of dementia. Steps performed at higher intensity resulted in stronger associations. As an accompanying editorial pointed out, walking briskly provides more protection than just moseying along. Public health authorities really missed the boat at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. They urged Americans to wash their hands and disinfect doorknobs and groceries to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Face masks were discouraged. A review of the history of science shows that the experts were misled by past dogma. We now know that SARS-CoV-2 is airborne. Preventing it requires better ventilation and air filtration. According to Jose Luis Jimenez, lead author of an analysis of the history of the science of epidemics. History set us up for a poor response to the pandemic. We might have had millions of fewer deaths, hundreds of millions fewer cases, if we'd taken appropriate effective action from the start. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Today we're talking about how to improve air quality. To reduce our risk of catching COVID-19 or influenza, it makes sense to have good ventilation and air filtration. To find out how we can do that, we turn to Dr. Richard Corsi. He's Dean of the College of Engineering at the University of California at Davis. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Richard Corsi. Yeah, it's it's really a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Dr. Corsi, most of us, well, I have to be honest, paid pretty little attention to things like ventilation and air quality prior to the pandemic. But we may be more aware of the potential for aerosol transmission of COVID-19 now. But, you know, we seemingly haven't made that many fundamental changes Uh, in our schools, in our offices, in our supermarkets, and even at home. Why haven't we? That's a great question. I I think that we tend to think in a certain way, the way way we've always done things is, you know, we need to improve ventilation to reduce the amount of uh, bad things in the air in in shared indoor spaces, right? Um, And changing HVAC systems, changing mechanical systems, well, well, potentially very beneficial for improving indoor air quality. It also takes time and it's also very expensive. Uh, there are other things that we could be doing in the interim period between now and when we get to that point of improved mechanical systems 
that can dramatically improve indoor air quality. Things like portable HEPA air cleaners, things like the Corsi Rosenthal box, things like required mask wearing in indoor spaces with other people. And we haven't really, I think, capitalized on those things because sometimes we're a little bit fixated with the with the thing we want in the end, which is improved ventilation for all buildings. Before we get from A to B, there's a lot of things we can do to improve indoor air quality. And I think we need to keep our eye on the ball with respect to what we can do now as we get to where we'd like to be later. Well, Dr. Corsi, as I understand it, you just mentioned the Corsi-Rosenthal box. This is one of the things we might be able to do. Can you describe it for us? And how did you come up with it? Sure. I'll, I'll answer the second part first. The coming up with it was a very late one night in the summer of 2020. And what had been kind of eating away at me for a few weeks was the fact that um, that there were people that were starting to purchase, you know, very good HEPA air cleaners and HEPA air cleaners that are right size and right space can be very effective at reducing virus laden respiratory aerosol particles in air. The problem is that a lot of a big swath of America can't can't invest in a three hundred dollar to seven or eight hundred dollar portable air cleaner for their home, uh, and so and so my mind was just working with how do we how do we create something that's a lot less expensive um, that could be perhaps as effective as a HEPA air cleaner, and so it was really embarrassingly simple. You know, it was. Uh, just sketching it out one night on on a pad of engineering paper and thinking about, well, you know, boy, um, simple box fans that cost $20 move a lot of air. They actually move more air than the fans in expensive HEPA air cleaners. So if we could couple that with, with filters that could remove a fair fraction of the particles of the size that we know convey the SARS-CoV-2 virus, we might have a winner. Um, and then the idea came to uh, create a box that was made out of four MERV-13 filters. MERV-13 filters are going to be anywhere from about 50% to 90% effective at removing, efficient at removing particles the size that we care about with respect to SARS-CoV-2. But we can move a lot of air through those MERV-13 filters, through a box made out, out of MERV-13 filters with a box fan. So it was kind of doing some quick calculations and then realizing this could actually work. And so that was the genesis of it. It's it's really, let's seal four MERV-13 filters together, put a cardboard box, a cardboard bottom on it, um, and then, and then uh, seal up a box fan on top of it, blowing out so that the air gets sucked into through the filters, which helps with respect to sealing the filters and keeping them from the seams from kind of opening up and air not going through the filters. And um, kind of put that out on social media, had a, a, an interview with, I, I believe, Wired magazine. And then a few days later, Jim Rosenthal in Texas built one. And he said, here's a Corsi box. We had, I, I said it should be called a Rosenthal box. You built it. And I believe it was Don Milton at the University of Maryland said, just call it a Corsi Rosenthal box. And that's sort of stuck. Well, we'll uh, we'll put a picture of it up on our website so people will have an understanding. It's really simple. Y- you've mentioned HEPA, H-E-P-A, a couple times, HEPA filters. What does that stand for? So HEPA stands for High Efficiency uh, Particulate Air or, or Arrester, um, depends on who you speak to. And HEPA filters are extremely efficient at removing particles across all particle sizes. They're least efficient 
for particles that are 0.3 microns, you know, like one three hundredth the size of a cross section of a human hair. That's where they're least efficient. And even for that particle size, they're 99.97% efficient. So they're great at removing anything that goes through them, which is a real positive for them. Um, but but um, we can use less efficient filters and get more air through them and actually have a more effective device than a HEPA air cleaner. So that's where the Corsi Rosenthal box comes in. We can we can actually create something that's now proven um, to be about two to two and a half times as effective as a HEPA air cleaner in terms of removing particles from the air, dropping aerosol particle levels from shared air, say in a classroom, even though it's less efficient on a single pass of air through it in terms of removing particles. Now, you mentioned MERV, M-E-R-V. What does that stand for? And what was the number again? So the number that that we used initially for the Corsi Rosenthal box that that is 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 probably the best filter to use is a MERV thirteen filter. So there is a MERV rating, and MERV ratings MERV stands for minimum um, minimum efficiency removal value. I believe. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly what the R is for, but I think it's minimum efficiency removal value, um, and it's it's. So filters have different MERV ratings. A standard filter that many people use in their furnace or in their HVAC system is a MERV-4 filter. A lot of people buy the cheap MERV-4 filters. Um, those are really a, you know, quite good at removing things like cat hair, right? Big, big things, big particles, but not good at all at removing particles, you know, respiratory aerosol particles, the size that convey the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The higher the MERV rating you go to, the better the filter is at removing particles with different, you know, with, with different sizes. So um, a lot of schools have used MERV-8 filters. That's been um, kind of very common across school districts. And MERV-8 filters are better than MERV-4 filters, but they still are going to miss a lot of the particles that are of the size we care about that convey the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. And so, and so proactive schools have uh, moved to putting MERV-13 filters in their HVAC systems if the system can handle a MERV-13 filter. But that's what, that's what the MERV ratings stand for. Where do you find a MERV-13 filter? So you can purchase them. Uh, you can purchase them from, you know, hardware stores, big box hardware stores, Home Depot's kinds of places. Um, and you can purchase them online. It's pretty easy to find them. Uh, one MERV-13 filter, if you're going to purchase it online, costs around $20. So if you were to purchase four of them to build a Corsi Rosenthal box, the filters themselves would cost about $80. The box fan itself, you can get for about tw- a good box fan uh, for about $20. So the cost there is about $100, the capital cost. But if you purchase the MERV-13 filters in bulk, and I've I've done that myself for my own college here at UC Davis, uh, if a school or a school district was to purchase a lot of them, you can drive that cost down to about nine or ten dollars per MERV thirteen filter just from from uh, bulk purchase. And so, in that case, the Corsi Rosenthal box for a single unit drops to about sixty dollars. Now, I've been a little bit of a nut about air quality for maybe thirty years. Uh, Terry, <laughs> Terry will agree, and we actually have installed. HEPA filters into our heating and air conditioning system. So it, it is possible to do that. Can you also install like MERV filters into your HVAC system? Oh, absolutely. And most of them are sold for that purpose, right? So 
uh, as I was saying, a lot of people, you know, in their homes and their HVAC systems will have MER4 filters for capturing cat, you know, cat fur. Um, um, some will be more proactive and have MERV8 filters. Um, we've always used in our homes up until the, you know, pandemic sort of MERV10, MERV11 filters. Um, and I think more and more now you hear people uh, purchasing and using MERV 13 filters in their in their for, in their mechanical systems. It can be a little bit tricky. Some mechanical systems, the fans can't handle a MERV 13 that filter. That was what I was going to ask you. Do the HVAC people get mad at you because you've been telling people you need a better filter than the ones you've been using to cap- capture cat hair? Um, <laughs> so, and they, so, they say you're going to you're going to ruin our system. Yeah. So most systems, certainly most residential systems, can easily get up to MERV 10, MERV 11. And 90% can handle the MERV 13. So what I have said is if you have any questions about your system, you should you know, speak with a mechanical contractor and they'll let you know whether your system can handle the MERV 13. Um, at the university I was previous to UC Davis, Portland State University, we looked at uh, all of our HVAC systems in every building on campus. Um, and you know, we had some large buildings, so there were multiple systems, multiple wings and buildings. Um, and what we found was about 90% of our systems could handle MERV 13 filters and about 10% could not. So in the ones that could not, you do your best to go up to MERV 10 or MERV 11. They're not going to be as effective, but still effective. And remember that one thing about HVAC systems, depending upon where you live, you know, they cycle with different frequencies unless you're running the fan continuously, which most people don't do, right? So they, they, they set the thermostat. Thermostat works, your HVAC system kicks on for a few minutes, and then it turns off for 10 minutes, and then it kicks back on, right? So during those periods where it's not operating, right, where it switches off, you're getting no removal of aerosol particles from the air, right? So that's where the standalone units, the HEPA air cleaners and the Corsi Rosenthal boxes can be really valuable is that they're continuous use. They're continuously removing particles from the air, Whereas it's relying on better filters and HVAC systems, you're relying on those to work, you know, maybe 20% of the time or 15% of the time, uh, again, depending upon time of year and the climate in your area and, and where you set your thermostat. You're listening to Dr. Richard Corsi, Dean of the College of Engineering at UC Davis. After the break, we'll find out about the importance of HVAC filters. How do we balance energy efficiency against good ventilation? We'll also consider the roles of outside air pollutants and those that are generated inside. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at CocoVIA, CocoVIA.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform 
tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today, we're discussing indoor air quality to reduce our risk of catching COVID. Early in the pandemic, we were misled by public health authorities. They advised us to wash our hands, disinfect surfaces, and stay six feet away from everybody. Those strategies did not work. Instead, we should have been paying better attention to improving air ventilation and filtration. Come to think of it, we still need to pay more attention to these tactics to prevent COVID as well as influenza. Our guest is Dr. Richard Corsi, Dean of the College of Engineering of the University of California, Davis. He helped develop the Corsi Rosenthal Box, which is a do-it-yourself, low-cost, effective air cleaner. Dr. Corsi was inducted into the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climates Academy of Fellows in 2008 and is immediate past president of the Academy. Dr. Corsi, can you give us a quick understanding of, of how a heating and air conditioning system works and you know where the filter fits into that system? Sure. So uh, a mechanical system in, say, a, a commercial, like a school or a commercial building um, is going to be designed so it has um, outdoor air intake. So there's actually a location where air is taken in and there are dampers on that location that can control the amount of outdoor air that comes in, right? Um, and then air is also recirculated and combined, air from in the interior space is recirculated and combined with that outdoor air. That then goes through a filter, right? And the, the filter can remove pollutants, uh, can remove outdoor pollutants or it, it, that come in as well as indoor pollutants that are generated. And the filter is placed there before the fan to basically protect the fan um, from getting a bunch of stuff stuck on it, Right cat fur and big things, right? And then downstream of that are um, are the, the basically conditioning system, the heating and cooling system, the coils. Um, and then from there, when the air is conditioned for thermal purposes to keep everybody comfortable, it goes into um, uh, supply ducts that supply air to all of the classrooms or offices uh, in the space that you're trying to condition. Now, one of the things that we're that we've been looking at lately is that buildings are built to be very tightly closed so that they'll be efficient. And that actually may interfere with them being really well ventilated. Is this a balance we can strike? It is. So if the building has a design air intake, it's actually a good thing that the building is fairly tight. That means that you're not getting air moving into spaces from other spaces that you don't want air moving into uh, or from. So with the designed air intake, you can still have really good ventilation, especially if you open up the dampers um, and bring in as much outdoor air as you can, uh, even if that space is otherwise very sealed up. So that, that's actually a good thing. As long as we have a design air intake, which most homes do not have. You know, very small percentage of homes have design air intakes. So we're talking about schools here and we're talking about com- other commercial buildings with design air intakes. So it's not a bad thing as long as you know where you're bringing the air in and you're bringing in sufficient air to the space. Now, you mentioned pollutants. Are there pollutants in the outside air that we need to be worried about? And then we'll talk about inside air pollutants. 
Yeah, there sure are. And this is, you know, one of the issues with increasing ventilation, that there are times where, you know, especially during the pandemic, we would we do get benefits from increasing the amount of outdoor air that comes into indoor spaces. But that outdoor air, um, if you're near a busy freeway, is going to have a lot of transportation-related air pollution with it. And there's been, you know, a couple of decades of great research on the horrible health impacts of a particulate matter and, and other things associated with transportation systems. Or if a school is near an industrial complex, a refinery, where there oftentimes are environmental justice issues because we're talking about families at the lower end of the economic spectrum that, that have children in those schools. Um, or if it's the middle of wildfires, right? You don't want to increase the amount of ventilation and, and essentially make the indoor environment as horrible as the outdoor environment is. And that's where, again, um, during those situations, or even situations where it's extremely hot and humid outside, like in Houston during parts of the school year, or um, very cold, like Minnesota during parts of the school year, it's hard to bring in a lot of more outdoor air. It's expensive. It's the system may not even be able to condition the air to the extent that you want in those kinds of climates. And so in all of those situations, using standalone air cleaning technologies is a great benefit because you can essentially get equivalents of very high and sort of the equivalent of very high outdoor air flow rates in without bringing in more outdoor air. Let's talk a little bit about indoor air pollution. I think people, for the most part, haven't thought too much about this problem, but we're hearing more about gas stoves, cleaning chemicals, um, carpet fibers, even air fresheners. That's a problem. So give us some sense of what's going on inside our homes. Yeah, it's a great question. And this has been an area of research that a lot of people in the indoor air quality field, which is a very small field worldwide, but those in this field uh, have been working on for literally decades. Everything from volatile organic compounds that are emitted from architectural coatings or, you know, formaldehyde from from new furniture that comes into a building. Um, you mentioned cook stoves that uh, or, or 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 stoves that have that use gas instead of electric, where you get oxides of nitrogen, um, which can be detrimental to health as well as ultrafine particles. So natural gas emits a lot of really tiny particles that can negotiate their way deep into your respiratory system. They also emit carbon monoxide. A lot of cleaners, even cleaners that are considered green cleaners, emit a lot of um, highly uns- what are called highly unsaturated chemicals into the air. And the significance of the highly unsaturated part of the chemicals is they tend to be very chemically reactive. So if you're in an area with high ozone levels, the outdoor air that comes in carries with it ozone. And if you're using green cleaners or a lot of fragrances, plug-in air fresheners, those kinds of things, same thing. A lot of these unsaturated organic chemicals, ozone loves to chemically react with those chemicals. And when you get a little bit of ozone mixing with those unsaturated organic chemicals, you get bursts of chemistry going on. And that chemistry leads to literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chemical byproducts. Some of those chemical byproducts we know are bad for you. 95% of them, we have no tox data on, no toxicological data. So we don't know how harmful they are. They may be very harmful, they may be benign, but we do know that that chemistry generates red flags all over the place. Let's talk about ozone. As I understand it, this has been a special uh, research priority for you. What can you tell us about 
ozone and how to mitigate it? So first of all, we have uh, literally 50 to 60 years of good health data that says, you know, inhaling ozone is bad for you. Ozone will chemically react with with um, your lung lining, epithelial cells. It can it can affect your natural immune system that would normally work if you inhale particles, for example, to uh, remove those particles from your respiratory system. Um, and so it sort of paralyzes the respiratory system. So if you inhale, for example, an infectious particle, particle that has bacteria in it or viruses that could cause an infection, it's harder for your body to remove those if you're inhaling a lot of ozone at the same time. So ozone is bad for you. Um, fortunately, when ozone comes from outdoors to indoors, its levels tend to be much lower indoors. But the reason its levels are much lower indoors is because it chemically reacts with the large amount of surfaces that we have in indoor environments. It reacts with latex paint. It reacts with carpet. It reacts with those things in the air that we just that we just spoke about. So that lowers the ozone levels, which is a good thing. But then we get all these byproducts that we really don't know that much about um, in terms of health effects. And so, so we may, you know, we're sort of trading off one thing for another. My, my team has tried over the years to find ways of reducing as much ozone as possible indoors without creating reaction products. So we've, we've developed this concept called passive removal materials. These are materials we can use in the indoor environment, architectural materials that decompose ozone without forming any reaction products. And it turns out a lot of those materials that we've tested that are very effective at doing that tend to be mineral-based materials. They tend to be things like um, clay-based plaster and clay-based paint and limestone uh, and perlite, that kind of light, fluffy stuff that people put in their gardens to give porosity to the soil. It's a volcanic material. All of these materials tend to be very effective at removing ozone from the air, decomposing the ozone, destroying it, and not forming any reaction products. So, you know, that's another area I think that we could really capitalize on to reduce population exposure to ozone and reduce population exposure to all of those interesting chemical reaction products that that come about because of ozone chemistry indoors. So what do we do? I mean, a lot of people are going, well, wait a minute. You know, I sometimes need to paint a wall in the kitchen or in the bedroom. I use cleaning materials. I use, you know, spray stuff. It's, you know, it's very convenient to, you know, clean my floors. And what about all those cooking oils and air fresheners and the gas stove, which which I love? What do I do to reduce my exposure to some of those chemicals that you're now saying might be harmful to my health? So the gas stove one is easy, and that's to to make sure that you have an operable um, exhaust vent on your stove and use it use it whenever you turn on the burners. Um, there's been some great data that shows that even cooking on the back burners instead of the front burners when you're using your exhaust fan increases the effectiveness of that exhaust fan venting a much greater fraction of the of the gases as well as any harmful particulate matter that's created during the cooking event uh, from the indoor space. So that's an easy one. Just flip on that exhaust fan, right? For the other ones, it's a little bit trickier. So you know, ventilation is important if you're painting. Ventilation is important if you're using cleaning products. Um, that will bring in more ozone if there's high ozone levels outside. But without getting into all the details, bringing in more ozone is bad, but you need time for the chemistry to happen. And so if you increase the amount of ventilation in the space, 
you're actually decreasing the amount of time for chemistry to happen because you've got just air moving through the indoor space faster. And so time actually wins out there, right? So to basically ventilate when you're painting, ventilate when you're cleaning, use your exhaust uh, vent when you're cooking, which is a, which is local ventilation essentially. Those are all solutions to um, to the to the problems you just mentioned. Dr. Corsi, we're still living with COVID nineteen uh, BA five, the the variant that seems to be causing so much mischief right now, and who knows what the next variant will be. You know, you can go into a lot of places right now, supermarkets, pharmacies, offices. 90% of the people are not wearing masks. How can we improve the quality of our air and reduce our risk of catching COVID or perhaps influenza or some other viral infection going forward? It seems like people have kind of almost walked away and said, I don't care anymore. I agree with you 100%. I just flew to and from Washington, D.C. And you, you said 90% are not wearing masks. That's ex- pretty much exactly what I estimated based on a count on the planes, that only about 10% of us were wearing masks on the plane. We've moved from trying to make this a community effort to reduce the spread of COVID-19. And unfortunately, I think it's really become now uh, really just a personal and a family effort, right? So you just protect yourself, protect your family, because because everything else is sort of broken down. Wearing good N95 masks is an incredibly effective and low-cost way of reducing your inhalation dose of virus-laden respiratory aerosol particles. So I encourage that highly, whether other people are not wearing them or not, is don't feel bad about wearing a mask because A, you're being really smart by wearing one, and B, uh, you're not only protecting yourself, but if you're infected and you don't know it, you're protecting all the other people around you that are not wearing masks. So wearing a mask is a good thing. And I just highly encourage it, especially during this time of, of uh, incredibly transmissible variant uh, of the virus with BA5. Um, and, then, and then the other thing is to, you know, be smart about um, spaces you're in that you have control over. If you're having friends over, um, even if you're going to be going out in the backyard for having dinner with some friends or a group of friends, but they're going to be in your house for a little bit, use something like a HEPA air cleaner or a Corsi Rosenthal box to to reduce the amount of rest, you know virus laden respiratory aerosol particles in the air. You know, I I've done calculations with the Corsi Rosenthal box for average size classrooms. Tested a lot of classrooms in Central Texas over about a twenty year period many hundreds of them. So I know what the size distributions of classrooms are. And if I just take kind of an average size classroom and I put a Corsi Rosenthal box in that classroom, I can basically reduce respiratory aerosol particles by about 80% in the air, just with that Corsi Rosenthal box based on good published data that we have now for its effectiveness, right? That's the equivalent of increasing the ventilation rate, the amount of outdoor air coming into the classroom by about seven to eight air changes per hour. We would have to have dramatic increases in ventilation to get the same reduction in in respiratory aerosol particles in that classroom. And we can do that literally at a cost, if you count for the capital costs, replacement of the filters, the use of electricity, we can do it at a cost of about $4.20 per student per school year, right? That's one venti cafe mocha, right? Per student per year. 
The cost of educating a student in the United States, on average, is about $13,000 per child. So for the cost of one cup of coffee, fancy coffee, right, 0.03% of the cost of educating a student, that one inexpensive box reduces the inhalation dose of everybody in that classroom by 80%. And that's protecting the students and the teachers. It's protecting the students, the teachers, and their families when the students go home to their families. And I want to point out to our listeners that you are not making a penny on any of these boxes. This is a do-it-yourself project. You you can do it at home yourself. And again, we'll have a photograph uh, and a link so that people can figure out how to do this. And the other thing is the MERV, M-E-R-V, 13. Teen filters. It's something that mm-hmm. schools can have. It's something offices should have. It's something that wherever you go, that's what they should have in a commercial building. And it should be what you can have at home, especially as you say, if you're having friends over, you know, you don't have to have it on all the time, but you could definitely put it into your um, into your HVAC systems uh, before your friends arrive, knowing that you're going to, you know, make it a much safer place. Correct. You're listening to Dr. Richard Corsi, Dean of the College of Engineering at UC Davis. He helped develop the Corsi Rosenthal Box, which is a do-it-yourself, low-cost, effective air cleaner. Dr. Corsi was inducted into the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climates Academy of Fellows in 2008, and he's the immediate past president of the Academy. After the break, we'll learn something about Florence Nightingale and the importance of ventilation in the 19th century. Florence Nightingale might be considered the first nursing engineer. Maybe we'd need more of those today. We'll also find out about the value of ultraviolet radiation. Can it be used to kill viruses in the air? Florence Nightingale didn't know about ultraviolet radiation, but she knew that sunlight was beneficial. She worked hard to get tuberculosis patients in the sunshine. We'll also learn how monitoring air quality can help reduce our exposure to mold and mildew. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants, to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, Herbs.com. Today, we're talking about what we can do in our homes, our offices, and our schools to improve air quality. Better ventilation and filtration can reduce our likelihood of catching COVID-19 or even influenza. Our guest is Dr. Richard Corsi, 
Dean of the College of Engineering at the University of California, Davis. Prior to his current position, Dr. Corsi spent much of his career as a faculty member, department chair, and endowed research chair at the University of Texas at Austin in the Department of Civil, Architectural, and Environmental Engineering. Dr. Corsi is an internationally recognized expert in the field of indoor air quality, with a specific interest in physical and chemical interactions between pollutants and indoor materials. His concept for a low-cost, accessible, and effective air cleaner, the Corsi Rosenthal Box, is now being used as an open-source, do-it-yourself approach worldwide for reducing exposure to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, wildfire smoke, and other pollutants. Dr. Corsi, as a result of COVID-19, we've done a lot of writing and research on infectious diseases and you know how people catch stuff and 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 good ventilation and we and we had to go back how far terry to florence nightingale i believe florence was active in the 1860s and and she went to crimea of all places because of the crimean war uh, she was a, a british citizen although i think she was born in italy her, yes. her family was quite wealthy, and she wanted to be a nurse, and so she ended up in uh, in Crimea, and and the the hospitals in quotes they were not very well equipped were just abysmal, and she worried about air quality. Have you have you ever looked into the history of Florence Nightingale and what she recommended when she got back to England? Yeah, I have. I've read. I've read some. Right, she was a superstar of her day. That, that was a period, actually, kind of eighteen fifty-five to eighteen seventy or so, where there were a number of, uh, not a huge number, but you know, four or five people that were writing pretty extensively about the importance of indoor air quality, and much of it was related to people getting sick with infections. Right, so John Griscom was a um, was a physician in New York City in, in late 1850s. And he wrote a book that had this very fancy name about ventilation of buildings. And he described all the illnesses of his patients that he attributed actually to poor indoor air quality. And um, Max von Pettenkofer, a famous quote, he was, he was one of the sort of original indoor air quality scientists in late 1850s. He said something like, if there's a pile of manure in the middle of the room, don't ventilate to remove the odor, remove the pile of manure, right? So that was a way of saying, let's get rid of the sources, right? In, the, in terms of COVID-19, what that would mean is let's make sure that the sources aren't in the space with other people. So that means staying home when you have symptoms. It means, you know, testing and isolation programs to make sure that, to, to minimize the number of infected people that are in indoor spaces. Um, and Florence Nightingale was amazing. I mean, she she wrote about about indoor air quality issues, especially in healthcare settings, extensively from from ventilation to even in one of the passages that I recently read, and, and I I don't remember. Um, I could I could dig it up the exact source, but even talking about the distribution of air, not just the amount of outdoor air that comes in, but but the airflow in buildings. She was very much almost. Uh, a nursing engineer, if you will. What a fascinating idea. I don't think we have nursing engineers at this point, although we probably should, huh? Yeah, yep. 
I agree. I agree. It's, um, you know, nurses are, are, as we all know, kind of the first line of defense for healthcare. Um, and oftentimes nurses have to make snap decisions uh, with patients. They don't have time to think about, you know, that's what the doctors do, think about courses of, of remediation of illnesses. But nurses have to make snap decisions. They work with a lot of now computerized uh, instruments that uh, aren't always user-friendly. So that sort of human-machine interface. And, I, and I've actually been having conversations with the dean of the School of Nursing at UC Davis about this very issue. Um, and he used the term nursing engineering. So I'll give Stephen Kappen all credit for that. But but he thinks there's a real place for educating nurses um, on, on sort of quick fixes for patients, if you will, um, and probably educating engineers on how to educate nurses. So... It sounds like it's a a really important area for future development. Now, as I understand it, some of the early t- tuberculosis sanitaria were actually designed on Florence Nightingale principles with big windows to let in the air, to let in the mm-hmm. sunshine, and, and people were taken outside as much as possible so that they could get exposure to fresh air. And hopefully that would mean they weren't also reinfecting each other. Absolutely. Uh, it's great images. If you look back at historically at, uh, at tuberculosis um, facilities and, you know, rolling the beds outside. So people are lying in their bed on a patio getting sunshine. And as you said, uh, when they're outdoors, there's very little chance that they're going to infect anybody else. Well, you mentioned sunshine, the sun, ultraviolet radiation. And we've learned that UV is very effective at killing viruses and bacteria and other nasty things in our air. How does that play a role now, you know, post-pandemic? Well, we're not post-pandemic, but while we're still dealing with COVID-19, we've heard that there are systems that could for a relatively modest amount of money, allow for ultraviolet um, installation in the ductwork or perhaps in the heating system or perhaps in the room itself to kill off things that could be particularly nasty. If done right, extremely effective. So it's not inconceivable that if done right, the right UV intensity, the right amount of contact time with particles that contain the viruses, you can get the equivalent in terms of inactivation of viruses, the sort of equivalent reduction in infectious viruses in the air of 20 air changes per hour with outdoor air. So it can be extremely effective. There are less people that know the trade than, say, mechanical contractors that can come and, and, and help with you know, mechanical systems. I'm not as big with them in, in HVAC systems. I'm not saying that they don't have some benefit. But again, back to the issue of unless you're running your fan continuously, which a lot of people don't do or some can't do, then you're just bas- it's just basically doing good 10% to 20% of the time because of cycling, right, of the HVAC system. Really big on appropriate um, upper room UV radiation. Um, you just have to make sure that the radiation is not uh, impacting skin or hurting the eyes of people below. And there's ways of doing that. For example, you can you can have an upper room system that's above a drop ceiling and make sure that you have good air circulation from um, from the occupied space through the drop ceiling and then back into the occupied space. Right, that can be extremely effective. 
I'd like to ask you about mold for for just a moment, please. Uh, we live in the South. It's not as hot and humid as Houston, but uh, North Carolina does get hot and humid in July and August. And people have crawl spaces that they don't like to crawl into because they're pretty creepy. And uh, mold can be a problem and it can make COPD or asthma worse. What can you tell us about air quality and reducing exposure to mold and mildew? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. So certainly some people are much more sensitive to mold spores than, than others. Um, and there are, there are certain types of fungi that are, um, that are uh, opportunistic pathogens. Um, uh, Aspergillus fumigatus, I believe, is you know something where you can actually grow mold in your lungs and it can kill you. It's called um, um, like mold balls in your lungs, essentially. So, and that tends to be particularly bad for people that are already immunocompromised. So, it's a big issue. the The issue with with mold is really to keep the space um, to remove as much dampness as possible from the space. You know, damp buildings or sick buildings. Um, and I understand your comment about crawl spaces that if you're in a place with heavy rainfall, oftentimes that crawl space can get pretty damp. That's a, that's a bad recipe. And you can even get water wicking up into the walls, which is, you know, very bad. We tend to think sometimes about those situations where a pipe breaks and you have a bunch of water all at once. You know, if, if you, you can treat that pretty easily actually. Um, but it's when you have a, a sort of systemic damp building, which in the United States happens a lot in the Southeast um, from your neck of the woods, you know, all the way down to Florida and, and over to East Texas. Um, and the key is really to try to do everything you can to reduce dampness in the, in the building. Um, that can be done in different ways. Um, if you have a crawl space and it gets really wet underneath there, you can try to dry it out with, you know, literally um, passing air, through the crawl space to basically try to evaporate as much of that water as possible. So you put fans on an opening on your crawl space and just basically um, uh, blow the air out. So you get good continuous airflow. If it's a hundred percent relative humidity out or close to 99% or 90% relative humidity, unfortunately the evaporation process takes a lot longer to get that air out. Um, but that's one way you can do it for sure. Um, good drainage away from the building for sure. Um, I've seen schools in Texas I've worked with, that uh, literally had downspouts, um, you know, coming off the roof that emptied into a grate that went directly under the school building. So it was, it, it was, it was as if saying, when it rains, we're going to make sure that the crawl space under the building stays really damp, right? Um, and uh, and had tremendous mold problems in those buildings. And in fact, in one school, it was so bad, the water was just wicking up the walls, and there was mold, uh, you know, in the in the walls inside the building um, as well as mold growing underneath in the crawl space that uh, for negatively pressurized buildings, if you're not, if you're not ventilating properly with positive pressurization, that negative pressurization can cause the mold spores that are released from underneath the space to get sucked into the building. So ventilation plays a role there as well. Well, I think we've covered all of the topics. Is there anything we have left out that you want to tell our listeners that uh, is important? Uh, you know, I think we covered so much, and I appreciate the opportunity to do so. I, I think if I was to say anything, it's just to remind everybody that we're still in a global pandemic. 
This hasn't gone the direction that many felt it would go, which would be, you know, over time that we would get to a place where this becomes kind of a seasonal flu that doesn't appear to be happening anytime soon. So I think we're going to be living uh, for some time with these uh, with these surges of different variants. And we just need to keep our guard up. And we have the tools to do it, right? Number one is get fully vaccinated to reduce your chance of a severe outcome if you do get infected. And then to reduce the probability that you're infected in the first place, the entire key here is to lower your inhalation dose to virus-laden respiratory aerosol particles. And none of that is rocket science. It's wear a good mask, an N95 mask when you're in crowds, um, when you're in indoor environments with people that you don't know or not infect, that you, you don't know whether they're infected or not. So masks, improve ventilation where it makes sense to do so improve filtration in your HVAC system and and improve filtration uh, in the spaces you're in with HEPA air cleaners or uh, standalone Corsi Rosenthal boxes. That's it. That's kind of, and possibly in some spaces, as you mentioned, use upper room uh, ultraviolet radiation. But but that none of that is rocket science, right? It's easy to do, relatively easy to do. We know what the tools are. We just have to do it. And if we do that, then we're going to dramatically reduce the spread of COVID-19 and dramatically reduce the number of severe infections and, and suffering and long COVID and death. That's it. That's all of it. That's our entire arsenal right there. Dr. Richard Corsi, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Richard Corsi, Dean of the College of Engineering at UC Davis. Dr. Corsi is an internationally recognized expert in the field of indoor air quality with a specific interest in physical and chemical interactions between pollutants and indoor materials. His concept for a low-cost, accessible, and effective air cleaner, the Corsi Rosenthal Box, is now being used as an open-source, do-it-yourself approach worldwide for reducing exposure to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, wildfire smoke, and more. Dr. Corsi is immediate past president of the Academy of Fellows of the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wodarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today's show is number 1,314. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. When you go to our website, you'll find a link to the Corsi Rosenthal box. It describes how to make it, and there are even links to videos. It's really surprisingly easy. Uh, the YouTube shows that I've seen, it shows about 40 to maybe 50 minutes in order to put it together, and it's inexpensive, under 100 bucks. That's right, which is pretty important. Now, that's good for your home, but what about public buildings? You can't 
haul a Corsi Rosenthal box into a grocery store or a pharmacy or an office or, or the doctor's clinic, although they should be paying attention to their ventilation. Isn't it time for all these public spaces to upgrade their ventilation and filtration to the highest quality possible? And that way, we wouldn't be exposed to COVID-19. We'd be less exposed to influenza and even colds, right? Yeah, I, I think they should be posting that information. You know, when you get into an elevator, you can see when the elevator was checked. They have to do that by law. Well, I wish that when you walk into a grocery store or a pharmacy or a bank or any office building, that there would be some kind of documentation that says, we have MERV 13 filters, or even better, we have HEPA filters in our hospital, in our pharmacy, in our institution. And that way you can feel a sense of comfort knowing that the air quality is, is pretty darn good. Well, there is some portable technology you could use to see how many people are breathing in the space. Tell me about the carbon dioxide monitor. Right. CO2 monitors are actually pretty affordable. You can buy one from anywhere, maybe $80 up to $150, and they will tell you what the CO2 levels are in that space. And so if you're beginning to see the CO2 levels getting up into the danger zone, it suggests that they aren't bringing very much fresh air into the building. There are a lot of people there, and that's why the carbon dioxide levels are out of control. So I think, yeah, there's a lot you can do and maybe even invest in some MERV 13 filters in your own home, if not a HEPA filter. What do you think about such strategies? We love to have you share your comments at peoplespharmacy.com. Let us know what you think about today's interview or email us. Our address is radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to the newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.